0: So make every day more rewarding and check out USBank.com slash credit card.
1: US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply, member FDIC.
3: Welcome into the Roadwire NFL Podcast. It is St. Patrick's Day here, and it is also the first day of the league New Year. Mario, happy St. Patrick's Day. I see you're not wearing any green, so uh no, if you, went my, Irish if you went to my grade you. school, you'd get pinched.
2: Yeah, you, you should be in fuller garb than this yourself, right? Like I'm, I have an excuse. I'm not Irish and I don't do the thing where I pretend to be Irish. So I don't have either reason to dress up that way, but you have this somewhat low effort green shirt, but no hats, no, uh, no gold jingling on your, um, your, your, your apparel. There's no, there's no, there's no, you're supposed to carry treasures, I think. (laughs) And I don't see any.
3: If I'm carrying them around, people are, you know, people are going to triangulate me. They're going to, they're going to hunt me down. They're going to steal my gold. So I got to keep that on the low.
2: They go, they scream woo at you and raise their hands for a high five. But if you're like me, you're, you're not actually doing a high five. You're setting them up for the the treasure snatch.
3: (laughs) See, precisely. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that's a smart way of playing it. Um, yeah, I, I know that, yeah, this is a relatively low effort. I got just like a green shirt with the, with the, what's it the clover on it shamrock shamrock clover uh i had a shamrock shake recently and uh, i am
2: wearing a band a shirt of a band that's from boston and that is not irish themed in any way but boston's an ireland irish town i understand
3: I gotta it's say, it'd be re- it'd be really funny if you were wearing like a dropkick Murphy shirt right now, but
2: oh god, no, I hate those guys. <laughs> but Converge is from Boston, I think, or something in Massachusetts. Anyway, it's all Ireland, okay. I think.
3: <laughs> but, yeah, Ireland, or, uh, Massachusetts, the Ireland of America. But let's begin. We got a really busy week of news to unpack here. Um, so the legal tampering. Period began on Monday morning, gentlemen. Start your tampering. Uh, yeah, Monday at noon Eastern, and then today, Wednesday, uh, the the league year officially uh, got underway. So before we get into the signings that have happened, Mario, I want to get your opinion on the signings that haven't yet, and and more specifically, why is the top end of the free agent receiver market as as frigid as it currently is?
2: Well, I guess that it's uh, so we basically got Will Fuller, Curtis Samuel, Kenny Galladay, Juju Smith-Schuster still available since Alan Robinson and Chris Godwin both got tagged, and maybe if those two would sign extensions, and you know maybe if they hadn't been tagged, we would have had a market set already. But closest guess that I have is that Galladay, Fuller, Smith-Schuster's agents were kind of thinking. We're going to get something like what Robinson and Godwin are getting, or, you know, at least we we need to know what they're getting before we know what we're demanding kind of thing. So in the absence of that standard being set, these guys, these receivers that are still on the market, um, they, especially if you're a good one like Will Fuller and, and, you know, Juju and them, you're not worried about not getting a job if you don't sign soon enough, you know, so they don't have any reason to really move. And the teams aren't going to offer in the meantime what they anticipate to be Godwin and Robinson type numbers. So there's there's kind of like that ambiguity, and, and who knows where the two respective sides are mapping out uh, where they think any of those markets are going to go. But until they're set, it's just kind of like no one's going to sell themselves short in negotiations because they they don't want to look like a chump in you know four hours.
3: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Th- things can move so quickly. So. Um, I, I guess I just am surprised, just because of you know how quality they are. I guess the the lowering of, of the cap and you know how strapped certain teams are, it, it can all kind of play a role in in this one particular thing being a little bit slow to to get off the ground as far as the top end of the receiver market goes, and then you know you also have. Uh, you know, what's perceived to be a pretty deep receiver class coming in. Maybe people think that they can find their fix, uh, through the draft one way or the other. So either way, I am surprised that, that we're sitting here and, and some kind of lower level free agents are already looking at, at pretty nice deals or, or, you know, lower level receivers even specifically looking at, um, deals that we might not have been expecting while we're, you know, still kind of waiting on guys like, like you're saying, Wolf Fuller, um, Kenny Galladay. Um, Curtis Samuel to, to Inc. So we'll, we'll see what, what happens with them. And, you know, we'll check back in later this week on, on a, on part two of our free agent frenzy, frenzy, uh, podcast and, and see if they've found a landing spot, um, just yet. But let's go ahead. Let's move on over kind of one of the, one of the more surprising developments that one that I don't think a lot of people saw coming. And it's, you know, completely counter to how they've operated basically under this entire last 20, 25, or 23 years or whatever, the Patriots, not just a little bit splashy, but like being the like almost mid-2000s Washington football team level of splashy signings here. And I, I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. But what, what have you thought of that and then specifically with the signings that they have made?
2: Yeah, well – It's not a great position that the Patriots started with. They obviously mismanaged a lot of things in the past few years. And those mistakes put them in a difficult position right now. And that difficult position is the choice of, do you want to spend a lot of money or do you want to know for a certainty that you're going to suck two years in a row? And I understand the the criticism, the broader criticism of saying, they spent too much. It's not good to spend this much in free agency. This is what losing teams do. And, and I understand that criticism, but to me, at this point, it's, it's kind of like a gibberish criticism. It doesn't, it's not meaningful now. You're criticizing past actions. If you want to criticize the past actions, do that, but you can't say the past actions are somehow the current ones. And you're not fixing the past actions by doing nothing now to try to fix them. So it's kinda of, it kinda of reminds me of the Stafford trade with the Rams when people are like, Oh my god, why would you trade so much for Matt Stafford? Don't you know don't you know it's bad to have cap penalties? Dead money's bad, don't you know that? And it's like, yeah, they do know that, but they in the Patriots case, it's like we saw what happens when we go in with the kind of personnel that we had last year. It's just bad. It sucks. You can't play that way. They and, were like
3: the least watchable team. Like it yeah, like I, I enjoyed watching the Jaguars more than I enjoyed watching the <laughs> Patriots last year.
2: Yeah, uh, it's, it's not good what they were last year. And given, you know, the off season as the only chance to, to fix any of that, you have to spend in free agency. You can, you can resign to having the same bad team or you can try to do something to change it. And yeah, it's, it's more ideal to have a Johnu Smith on like a rookie contract or something, but there's, there's no way for them to assemble this personnel that they did through the draft. And they have the money to spend it, so who cares? It's not. It's not like this is egregious. Uh, I guess I personally don't really like the Kendrick Bourne signing that much, but no. even so, it's not an egregiously expensive one. And we we still don't even know the exact dollar figures for these things. We never figure out the exact dollar figures for these things for at least like a couple weeks. And even then, uh, it's like we we need over the cap and people like that to to explain some of these esoteric contract um, mechanisms that they've got going on to, to, to make the money basically look different than what it actually is for all practical cap purposes. So if it turned out that Kendrick Bourne is playing like on a two year, $13 million deal, like who cares? doesn't matter. They, were, were they going to get something for saving that money? Or do they have a big contract extension that they got to make right now? I don't, I don't see anything it's like, so they they can either spend that money on extensions for players who they don't really have a reason to right now, or they can go spend it on people like Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, which I think is like, I understand why people with those two fantasy investments are, are disappointed and why they might be thinking like, Oh, damn you, Belichick, Hunter Henry should have gone to Jacksonville or something or something. But I don't think that uh, new England's a worse spot for Hunter Henry than J- Jacksonville or the chargers because, or at least like not necessarily. It's not, it's not my first idea of what Hunter Henry should have done, but if they're running that old Gronk Aaron Hernandez offense, what are we even talking about? Obviously they could use two tight ends like this if they're running that scheme. And obviously they didn't run it last year because they didn't have the personnel to do it. So if they, if they're trying to build something that we've seen them already build before, and if they're getting good players at more or less reasonable market rates, I don't understand what the criticism is at that point. It's like I I could maybe quibble where I, I'd go with a different player here or there, not so much a tight end a receiver more so. But th- the idea that they needed to just not spend that money is ridiculous. And the idea that they should just not have competitive ambitions because they had a couple bad off-seasons and mismanaged some things – is, is also ridiculous. Like, we, we already know that they could have done things better in the past. Just repeating that forever is not interesting.
3: No, it's it's not. And, you know, the, the way that the market has obviously shaped out in the early part, like the Patriots once again – look really smart you know taking advantage of a slow moving re- receiver market to to get two two receivers that apparently you know they find fits the what they want to do offensively i do have a question for you but before we we circle back to to um you know what this new look two tight end uh type of base offense could look like but um you know you're so good with with knowing the the alignments and everything how many slot snaps especially if Julian Edelman comes back can you know, are they realistically going to be able to go around in this offense? Because you know, you already have I thought a guy in Jacoby Myers who looked promising, like really one of the yeah. few, if only, bright spots on this on, in this passing game a year ago. You get Edelman back if he's healthy. Um, you know, he's a year older. You can never really count on him to to play a full sixteen anymore. Um, but you know, you you add Kendrick Bourne to that mix. Is he almost more like a depth? Uh, addition you know kind of securing that 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 fourth receiver spot um, how does this all play out as far as like the receiver rotation looking
2: well I don't know what they're planning to do exactly like to me but like it looks to me like Kendrick Bourne and Jacoby Myers are pretty redundant and I, I thought like you that Jacoby Myers did a really good job not just last year but two years ago too and Maybe there's something funny in his numbers, like maybe he's not quite as good, not as clean as his numbers are, but no one else was doing well at receiver on that team, and he he was not just, it, he wasn't just the best of a bad bunch, his numbers are strong by conventional standards last year, like there's, there's not, you know, there's not like a bunch of touchdowns or whatever, but he was super efficient in an offense where no one else was, so I, I thought Myers fit like a certain function in the offense, which is to say like especially intermediate Maybe underneath kind of stuff. He can play inside or out, but you know you're not really going downfield with Myers. So I like Aguilar's addition because that's you know he he's not he's not my favorite pick. I would have definitely rather paid up for Curtis Samuel or Will Fuller. But if we just need speed and we need someone who can play outside, like yeah, Aguilar's pretty good. He's he's not bad. He's he's gonna he's fast enough that the safeties have to run with him if he runs past them. And so you can imagine an alignment where. Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne or Nelson Aguilar and Jacoby Myers can work together because the safeties can't just jump on Myers or Bourne in that case because Aguilar will run past them. But if Aguilar doesn't run past them, the safeties can crash down with impunity because Bourne's not running away from anyone. And as much as I like Myers, he's not really the kind of guy who kills you on, a, on an over aggressive blitz either. It's like maybe he gets a first down, but that's about the worst that's going to happen. When you, when you have some real speed out there, you, you make the touchdown possibility. Uh, very real, and the defense, no matter what the the down and distance, they have to respect it. If they don't, you can get a touchdown on them pretty easily. So, or at least like a defensive pass interference call. So, I just worry about the balance of having two slow guys like Myers and not that he's t- truly slow, but Bourne is truly slow. Bourne's not a very good athlete. He's one of these guys who needs the field to kind of be small and he needs everybody to kind of forget about him. And he can make these acrobatic plays like he's crafty. He's, he's good at being a wide receiver, even though he doesn't have all the tools to be the best wide receiver possible. But it's, it's just not that helpful in, in the, the structure of an offense. In my opinion, Kendrick Bourne to me is the kind of guy you pick up because he's just an undrafted free agent out of Eastern Washington, you know? Like, that's when you you get him in that case. You don't pay for him in free agency. Um, but he's not a bad player. Like, he he he'll, he'll, he should ride the baseline of the offense. I just don't think he can dictate the baseline being higher. And so um, I, I do worry about Bourne, like, having much of a role if Myers is out there and if Aguilar is out there because we need a two-tight end base. Like, last year, Izzo, uh, Ryan Izzo, David and Dalton Keene – combined for like not even a thousand snaps and we're going to need a thousand five hundred between Henry and Johnny Smith alone so that's that's upwards of like five hundred snaps that we're going to receivers or I guess it could have been offensive linemen or something but like there's a lot of snaps that they have to create for tight ends that weren't there last year and you don't want Kendrick Bourne as your outside wide receiver in a two tight end uh, base. You want you want some speed to offset the speed that you lose by foregoing a wide receiver in favor of a tight end.
3: Absolutely. So so that's a good way of, of drawing it up as far as, as this new receiver grouping and personnel and usage c- could go. Um, I guess my, my next question for you, I, I want to hear a little bit more about your thoughts on, on Aguilar because I thought he was one of the best stories uh, of last season yeah. and you know I was one of the guys that you know like just like the the famous Philadelphia news clip of the guy t- you know just throwing Aguilar under the bus when he's talking about like uh you know catching people jumping out of a burning building or something he's like we actually caught him unlike Aguilar's like just throwing strays it at Aguilar yeah. um you know kind of finds this uh renaissance in a in a place in Vegas that I don't think that Derek Carr really gets the the moniker of being this guy that that can be the one that makes a wide receiver. So for him to, you know, eat up almost thirty percent of the team's air yardage, do do killer numbers on a air, uh, air yardage on a per snap basis, his average depth of, of target down like fi- uh, fifteen yards down the field. That's really really far. Of course, that's you know one of the bigger you know longer deep threats. In the league, and he he was killer on on the long passes. Just in general, how much do we think that that's going to translate to this offense, especially if you know we we have the the two tight ends on the field? Is he going to be running like the same kind of just over the top guy that to keep the safeties honest type of thing, or what's going on there?
2: Well. Aguilar is not a true burner like he's the fastest that they have and he's he's better outside than he is inside which was Philadelphia's main mistake and it was the main reason that allowed Aguilar to break out last year it's it's not that he uh um, like I'm sure he had the yips a little bit in Philadelphia but the main reason he did good for the Raiders is that they put him at the right position they should have him playing outside and downfield because he's a slight guy he's, he's he's skinny and he doesn't handle contact very well but he's very elusive, and one thing—if you watch like his USC tape—it's pretty easy to see why the Eagles took him in the first round, because he's, he's this guy who makes a lot of impressive runs in the open field, and he's—he's he's really fat, he's—he's really fast. But he's not like a sub four four; he's like a four four one, which, for how skinny he is, is more like just good enough than truly like a, a, an abundance of athleticism. Because he's—he his case reminds me a lot of D. Westbrook, actually. Because D. Westbrook is this guy who's been playing in the slot for the Jaguars, and then this new coaching, uh, Jay Gruden, came in last year and was like, "Wait a second, this guy sucks. Why are we playing him in the slot? Let's get get him out of there. Put Keelan Cole, Chenault, anybody else." And I think that he, Jay Gruden, was reaching the same like disgust point with Aguilar, uh with with Westbrook that people did with Aguilar where Philadelphia was making him play in the slot because he's skinny. That's something you see a lot where it's like, oh, you got a light, skinny receiver. He's got to play the slot. He's not big enough to run block outside. So you neither, you either need to get, uh, get over the fact that he's small and not maybe the ideal outside run blocker or you just have to, uh, you just have to accept that your offense doesn't have a good role for him. Because if you make Nelson Aguilar play in the slot, his, his bad hands are going to show up. He's going to get rattled going over the middle. He's going to get rocked because he's skinny. And that was happening with D.D. Westbrook a lot too. He pretty clearly should be playing outside. So uh, his ACL tear is going to make it a little harder for him. But if there was like a Nelson Aguilar this year, I would say it's Westbrook. And uh, if the if the Patriots don't handle it the right way, they could definitely make bad Aguilar come back. You got to keep him outside, keep him playing downfield, and. You know, have them run crossing routes and stuff, sure, but that's more after you kind of establish the the run threats that that open up the middle of the field for them. Don't send them into traffic. You have to clear out the traffic first.
3: Right, exactly, because because like you said, bad Aguilar can still exist if if you use him the the wrong way. So Vegas kind of maybe found the blueprint for for how to do it, and uh, you know, I, w- I would assume the Patriots picked up on that, and you know, that's why they went after him. Um, on on day one of free agency. Um, So overall, I mean, this, again, was an offense that was busted all of last year. What's your level of optimism on these moves and and, you know where the Patriots could stand um, in the AFC East?
2: So they're shuffling their offensive line quite a bit, which I'm not a huge fan of, but what's weird is it's guys that they've had before. So it's like they're bringing Trent Brown back. They signed Ted Karras back from Miami, uh, they already played last year without Marcus Cannon, so him getting traded, I guess doesn't necessarily matter that much, uh, even though he was a good player. But it's like they're letting the David Andrews guy walk. So there's a lot of shuffling going on the offensive line and I, I like to see continuity on the offensive line instead, but if if they already kind of know these guys, maybe maybe it's maybe it's not like starting from scratch and maybe they can just get that offensive line polished for week one. No problem. But if they can, then I actually like quite a bit the theory of the Patriots' offense, or at least what I can imagine the theory of it being. Because when you have Cam Newton out there, you've you've got such a big athletic quarterback that it's kind of like, unless the defensive front seven you're going against is oversized, that's just kind of like a natural leverage starting point that you have over them. It's like the, the defense you're going against is built... Under the assumption that it's going against a quarterback who's between like six one and six five and two hundred and fifteen and two hundred and thirty five pounds, and they're not supposed to run the way Newton can, but when you got a two hundred and fifty pounder who can run like Newton, it's kind of all of a sudden like the defense needs to reconsider its personnel just at that start point. It's like we can't we can't put our two hundred and ten pound uh, dime linebacker out there. We need to reconsider how we handle that. And it's almost like to me, the, with when you start with Cam as the foundation and then. You add almost, I guess. I guess what I'm almost thinking of is like almost those old Georgia Tech offenses, but instead of having an all-option quarterback, you have Cam, and instead of having two jet sweep backs, you have Dalton. Uh, you have, you have uh, Johnny Smith and and Hunter Henry, and maybe Dalton Keene eventually, and those two guys kind of function anywhere from running back to tight end to receiver because that's the kind of athletes, that's the kind of versatility that that they pose, and with with Cam being the rushing threat that he is, you can leverage that into a certain like default approach from the defense. Like if you if you as a defense don't account for the Cam running threat, they can just take it until you do. And to account for it, you have to kind of tax yourself on maybe containing the outside run or some particular dive attack. And so you can kind of get Damian Harris, Sony Michelle, Chris Carson, Leonard Fournette, whoever they end up with at running back, they can kind of be that John Dwyer just dive halfback who just goes in kamikaze every time he gets the ball and cam gets his carry shots in of course that all of this gets leveraged into play action looks to the tight ends who, who keep the defense a little bit off balance with some screens here and there. You use a lot of motion, a lot of deception and you kind of make like a jumbo pistol offense that kind of bashes the defense a lot with this, with this run kind of foundation that can turn into more of a passing attack. Just because these, these guys who are plus blockers are also dangerous as pass catchers, especially if you're trying to cover them with like smaller defenders. So there's, there's ways that I think you can leverage the pieces of this, this New England offense into something pretty smart and, and difficult to anticipate because with, with that kind of versatility in the personnel, it's just hard to know what you need to do as a defense. Like you can go out there thinking you have a good idea of what plays they're going to run, but if they come out there with just ambiguous personnel and they're kind of doing an amoeba offense, like all you really have is the down and distance to try to guess what they're doing. And if you guess wrong, they might get like three blockers with an advance, a running back with a three blocker advantage running on the weak side of your defense. And you know, people like to say the run game doesn't matter, but if you give up plays like that, it'll mess with your head as a defense and you won't know what plays you need to call to get it all fixed. It, it, you, you can conceal a lot and you can, you can cause like f- physically painful Sorts of outcomes for the for the defense if they guess wrong. So yeah, it reminds I, I me like a little it's, bit. Oh, it's, oh. Just, yeah, it's almost like a little bit like a maybe like what the Chip Kelly offense could have been like up tempo and aggressive but run based and and distinctly fast feeling even though it's not airing it out.
3: Mm-hmm. And and I could kind of also draw a little bit of a parallel potentially. Uh, to like the 2019 Ravens, you know that they, they're always e- using the, yeah. the two tight end sets. I mean, it, it wasn't quite the same. Lamar Jackson, different in terms of you know Cam Newton, more like the physical, imposing, wear you down guy. Lamar Jackson, more the the elusive speed guy. But but nonetheless, you know, similar kind of going counter to the way the rest of the league is going in, in yeah. which. You know the team defenses are gearing up to stop the pass, and if you you know you catch them on a week where they they're going up against a run heavy team, they're not used to it. The the whole
2: league, yeah, it's it's a great money ball idea, I think, because it's like the whole league is building for a nickel defense based defense right now. Everyone's investing in a three wide base uh, defense assumption, and if the Patriots come up to you and you have all this cap draft picks tied up in a in a good. Nickel corner, two outside corners kind of base defense. It's like those guys are just useless now, or at least one of those corners can't impact the game against the Patriots.
3: Yeah. So it, this, this suddenly becomes a very, very interesting team to watch. And, you know, Buffalo, you know, they, they obviously ran, kind of ran away with the division a year ago, but you know, the, you know, the Patriots have, have bowed up now. Um, they, they made some defensive signings as well. Judon, Devin Godshow. So, I mean, couple guys and then you know you might get some of those opt outs from a year ago yeah. that you know certainly stung um I don't know what what the Gilmore situation is but but yeah suddenly the, the patriots you know definitely you know don't count them out uh just yet um and and I like what the dolphins are are doing too um or I like the directions of the dolphins I don't know if they've they've necessarily made any
2: it's not the old AFC instead. East. It's a little, no. little different.
3: Yeah. yeah, so that that's nice to see. And, and sticking in the AFC East, um, going over to a team that – the one team that we haven't gotten into just yet, the Jets. Um, what did you make of their signing of Corey Davis?
2: I thought it was fine. I I don't know what to make of Corey Davis's upside at this point. Like It wouldn't be shocking if he was capable of quite a bit more than he did in Tennessee because early in Tennessee – his early in his Tennessee career, he kind of had injury troubles, and Marcus Mariota struggled. And then once Ryan Tannehill got in there, AJ Brown was there as the clearly superior player. But not being as good as the best receiver in the league isn't really, uh, you know, a, a it's not something you can hold against a player, especially right. he's he's been efficient on his own part. And you know, again, the injuries it's 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 not fair to say that Corey Davis ever failed in Tennessee. It's just. A.J. Brown showed up, and then they didn't have enough money to spend to keep him. So he might be capable of being a legitimate wide receiver one for the Jets or other teams. I don't know. Uh, in the meantime, it's hard for me to get a sense of what, what what to expect from that offense. Like, I have trouble figuring out what I expect that offense to look like. I don't believe the theories about Zach Wilson going second overall to the Jets. I think Zach Wilson will be the fourth quarterback taken and i think the second pick is either going to be justin fields uh maybe trey lance maybe a deshaun watson trade that's that's kind of how i'm looking at it at that spot so uh that, that's like a range of things that I, and in each case i can kind of start to figure out or at least i, I get an idea of like what i think it'll look like not knowing which of those ahead of time though is is more likely than the other makes it impossible because like I, Deshaun Watson is very different from Justin Fields, he's very different from Trey Lance, so I, I don't know where any of that's going, and I I don't really ex- I know it's supposed to be an ostensibly a Shanahan kind of offense with Michael LaFleur there, but I just don't know like I don't know if maybe Mike LaFleur has a slightly different ideas on the Shanahan offense and the McVay offenses than everybody else that we've seen implement them like it's just it's just Hard for me to know for sure, and so I don't really see obviously the big volume scenario for Davis, but it might be there, and if it is, I don't really see any grounds to be particularly pessimistic about him. It's it's almost like his durability is my biggest concern.
3: Right, because yeah, those injuries, especially early in his his Titans career, kind of kind of stifled things a little bit, but you know he had a really strong. uh contract year this year of course and obviously ended up uh getting paid handsomely for you know career highs and uh tied the career high in catches yards uh touchdowns set a new career high um on and 10.7 yards per target so really really strong numbers across the board so yeah whatever the Jets quarterback situation ends up being I think will will kind of help dictate my, my level of interest in Corey Davis um how do you think he fits as far as the rest of this offense goes? And, you know, is, is there a receiver that is hurt by this uh, in this offense? Does this, you know, kind of push Denzel Mims' value down a little bit in, in, in the long term? Uh, what's up with Brashad Perriman and stuff like that?
2: Well, Perriman's a free agent. I don't know whether they have any interest in resigning him. I would guess they probably don't, but maybe they do uh as long as they don't sign paramin or somebody else mims should be fine like there's there wasn't a realistic shot at mims being their clear wide receiver one or anything so if he isn't their clear wide receiver one to me that's not really obvious grounds for downgrading him for me it'd be more like if we're worried about denzel mims getting 800 snaps then i start to worry about him but Corey davis doesn't change that and and They might. It was rumored that they were looking at maybe moving Jamison Crowder, who plays in the slot. Of course, he only plays in the slot, so that wouldn't exactly. That wouldn't specifically boost Mims' snap count, but it, it would be reassuring for his target share potential just because Crowder gets hurt a lot and he, he's not like dominant or anything, but he does, he is a good player at running routes underneath and he, he gets a lot of targets. So if, if they move Crowder, whoever they replace him with is not likely, or at least I would guess they're not likely to draw targets quite as much as Crowder did. So that would probably be good for both Mims and uh, Davis if he were traded.
3: Yeah, they, I I wouldn't imagine that they're going to be as reliant on the slot um, this year with better quarterback situation, is better overall situation in general. Getting Adam Gase out of there, I think, is is going to just be a huge boon uh, for for this team yeah. in general. Um, you know, what, one other just kind of observation. That, um, we'll we'll see what what comes of this, but maybe this connects a couple of dots. But do you see the Jets because looking at their Current uh, running back uh, depth chart—it's pretty bleak. <laughs> We've seen a couple, you know, good uh, NFL running backs get released in re- in recent days. Do you think that uh, a guy like Damian Williams could potentially be a fit for the Jets?
2: Maybe. I mean, Damian Williams is a 220-pound guy who catches the ball really well and is fast, but. The fact that he never broke out before playing for the Chiefs might indicate that he lacks vision, and so he might need space manufactured for him. But if he if he has the space manufactured for him, I think he can capitalize on it about as well as pretty much anybody. But uh, yeah, both both with Miami and at Oklahoma in college, he never was that explosive of a runner. Like not as explosive as you would expect someone as strong and fast as him to be. But yeah, he he can run. He can, he can still move, and maybe this offense will be competent, like maybe Mike LaFleur will be as good as uh, Matt LaFleur and, and the McVeigh coaching tree and the Shanahans. And if so, then yeah, pretty much any running back would, would kind of have an easy task in that case. But uh, in the meantime, I have no sense for what they plan to do with their backfield. I guess they could be going after one of Najee Harris or Travis Etienne in the draft. So that's. That, that's a pretty big possibility, I guess. Uh, in the meantime, I would say Ty Johnson is their best running back because Michael P. Ryan, I don't think, is very good. And, uh, Ty Johnson looks like he's kind of bad as a pass catcher, though, is the thing. So, which is weird because he's such a fast guy, but, um, he's, he's been just not effective as a pass catcher and, and pretty good as a runner. So, uh, as Philip Lindsay and his, his, like, cold reception from the Broncos showed, being a speed back without a proven passing down skill set is a good way to get just pushed aside. Uh, so I don't know what, uh, as far as in-house options makes much sense for them, but P Ryan to me is just like, I uh, do just, just some guy who's, who's going to
3: ride the baseline at best. Yeah. Just, yeah. Replacement level type of guy. Um, let's get on over. Got a couple of, Weird quarterback signings, but you know notable ones nonetheless. Uh, let's start things off: Ryan Fitzpatrick to the Washington Football Team. Did you see that coming at all? I mean, I guess oh, we I we, we had to figure that that there was going to be some sort of added competition for Heineke, but I don't. I'm not sure that I'm slam dunk thinking that Fitzpatrick wins that job over over Heineke unless there's you know some kind of political motive organizational motives more specifically right. uh to to um to just have Fitzpatrick be the starter but I thought Heineke did well enough in that in that playoff game to to warrant it but I knew that he needed some extra competition Fitzpatrick just kind of he adds drama wherever he goes basically so so I mean what what's going on here
2: Well, he's definitely more favorable for fantasy purposes than someone like Kyle Allen or Alex Smith. Like, that's, to me, the only tangible takeaway. I've seen a lot of people who apparently um, have spent too much time on the Internet or something – uh, and they, they forgot that the Ryan Fitzpatrick being epic thing is supposed to be a joke. It's not that serious. But now we have this thing where Ryan Fitzpatrick signs with Washington and you got all these people going like, oh man, it's on now. He's so good. Oh man. <laughs> Terry McLaurin's gonna really go Megatron finally now that he has Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing the ball to him. So that's embarrassing. He sucks. Like it's, it's fine. He's the best they can do and good for him being an old quarterback, making it work. Ryan Fitzpatrick has been a bad quarterback his entire career. He admittedly did have probably his best 10 games or whatever last year, Yeah, but he – like, I'm sorry, 10 games just can't really matter that much to me when I've got, what, 13 years of him being just
3: bad before that. Yeah, the, and the this other time- shoe's going to drop eventually. Like, he, he's – it was always like clockwork that he would turn into a pumpkin. Like a, a yeah, and he's point. he's
2: a he's a just he has a backbreaking turnover tendency, and everyone knows that or everyone once knew that his his gunslinger chucking it thing was the direct trade off or, or sorry the the, the direct trade off of him just gunslinging like that was that he throws all these interceptions, and people just seem to think now that oh he's he's actually just a bomber he doesn't really he he doesn't he has a, he's got a clean game he makes sick downfield throws because he's so epic. And it's not the case. It's like he, he throws downfield because he has to. Like he's a short quarterback who doesn't have a cannon arm. And it's, it's, he's, it's kind of like the Russell Wilson thing where it's like he doesn't really make plays in the intermediate that well because it's just not, it's not an advantageous leverage point for him standing where he does, being built like he is, the throwing angles that he makes. He can't really attack the inner part of the field as easily as he can the downfield part. And it's not for a lack of accuracy. It's just the ball needs to go. Without getting uh, caught and knocked over yeah. by people, you know. Yep. And so his intermediate game has always been bad. His accuracy has always been hit or miss at best. And when things go right for him, it's basically because the ball bounced the right way. So he's almost like a knuckleballer quarterback or something. Like it's just, <laughs> yeah, you can maybe luck into an insane season with R. A. Dickey or whatever, but you don't you don't think that he's an ace pitcher and that's kind of what a lot of people are failing to realize about with with Fitzpatrick they're like he's he's infallible it's going to be sick Logan oh now now Logan Thomas is a beast everyone's saying it's embarrassing people have no perspective about this stuff I don't really understand why it's so hard to just settle down for a minute but Ryan Fitzpatrick is at once maybe the best that Washington could do and he's still not a good quarterback Taylor Heineke is probably better than him but Taylor Heineke gets hurt all the time like he got hurt I feel like he got hurt in that game or something, didn't he? And, uh, but either way, he was he, his first game as a starting over uh, Kyle Allen for the Panthers three years ago or whatever. He dislocated his left elbow like right away. So uh Heine- Heineke just wild and, and by most accounts, he's kind of a goofy guy. So I know why they wouldn't want to go in with him. But if he doesn't destroy himself in practice, he's way faster than Fitzpatrick. He's got a stronger arms by far. Uh, he's I think, He's not any shorter, I don't think. Or maybe he's a little bit shorter. I don't know. But uh, Fitzpatrick, in any case, guy has got trash numbers for his career. And, yeah, in Buffalo, he didn't have much help. But with the Jets, he was throwing to Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker. And with the Buccaneers, he's throwing to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. I know that he didn't have a great situation with the Dolphins last year, but he's not a player whose past failures can be explained by circumstances, and he still is more or less that same guy.
3: Yeah, there's a reason why Noah never commits to him in in any long-term sense. Again, like you said, he did have those kind of notable that notable stretch last season. You know, everyone remembers the um, the game in December. Dolphins kind of had to have it. They benched Tua out in out in Vegas. Fitzpatrick leads the comeback. That sort of thing. So that that kind of anecdotal stuff can get stuck in your craw or stuck in your brain and. Kind of make you lose the perspective that that you need to be having, like you were just mentioning there with with the more longer term view of who Ryan Fitzpatrick really is. And, you know, I almost think that like because he didn't really have that like really, really harsh regression a year ago that it's going to like come like twofold this year, so I, I don't. It I could. Don't, his I Babbitt is Washington sitting running. at like yeah.
2: Yeah, his Babbitt is up at like four seventy five or something, and it's it's not a good bet to assume he'll keep that same those relatively clean numbers from last year. I, I would I would expect to to come crashing down, but it is admittedly good for Terry McLaurin. Uh, relative, well, maybe not maybe not relative to Heineke, but definitely relative to Alex Smith and Kyle Allen. Those two are useless and uh, really bad for for receivers. Uh, I would say Fitzpatrick is bad for Logan Thomas for that reason, because Logan Thomas isn't actually good. He was just like the fourth best PPR tight end in a year where tight ends were terrible, and now people think he's good. Um, He's not. He's he's okay, good for him, but he's the kind of player who's the best player you have when your team is terrible. And the second that you stop being one of the worst offenses in the league, that guy's a
3: backup. There we go. I got nothing to add there. Um, Let's get on over... The other kind of big signing with the with the huge internet reaction uh, from from this uh, free agent period that would that of course would be what are the Bears gonna do <laughs> uh, and what did the Bears do? Um,
2: well, they apparently tried to trade for Russell Wilson. They they tried to trade uh, apparently three first round picks, a third, and two starters. For Russell Wilson, which the the Seahawks evidently declined, I don't have any clue. Like I haven't seen anything as far as saying the Bears went after Deshaun Watson to that extent. So maybe they're like afraid of him. Maybe he owned them too many times on Twitter, and then they're, they're, they were like, ah, Russell Russell Wilson hasn't posted about us, so he's an option. But if we don't get him, it's it's gonna be. Uh, the red rifle that we that we bring in and they brought in andy dalton on a one-year 10 million dollar deal which may or may not be enough to keep him in the starting role it makes him like the heavy favorite right now and and there's not any obvious reason why the bears would come out of the draft with something especially pressing at quarterback so it's probably going to be dalton and um i don't know i I don't know what's going on with Allen robinson i would not want to play there if i was him I think it's well within Alan Robinson's rights to say, I'm not playing for the Bears. If he did say that, then Andy Dalton's situation goes from, um, you know, like Add maybe, to- maybe okay for fantasy purposes to, to probably more like, this is, this is really going to be a bummer kind of thing. So for, Dal- even for Dalton. So that would be pretty dreary. The idea of like, I like darnell Mooney as a prospect, but if he's your wide receiver one and like Cole Komet's your wide receiver two and your quarterback's Andy Dalton
3: like it's probably just
2: really depressing around yeah here. i
3: mean D- Dalton didn't look great with with uh you know one of the best pass catching groups in, in the league last year, and yeah and Chicago also does not have a good offensive line not not that the the Cowboys did necessarily either, but you know but that that his situation in that sense, his time to throw isn't going to get any better. And, you know, like we established, the, the options are, are decidedly worse, especially, um, pending that the, the Allen Robinson decision, whether he's going to play under the tag or not or, or end up getting traded. So yeah, this is, you know, for a Chicago team that, you know, felt like it was really building something in 2018, feels like that, that window is pretty, uh, pretty closed.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's gonna be really bad it's not going to be good like David Montgomery had his maybe career year last year is like he's gonna su- suffer for Andy Dalton well he, he won't necessarily suffer for Andy Dalton being there but his numbers were going to come down like they could, the only way Montgomery's production was going to stay stable was if they improved the offense and made his job easier and made the pie bigger for everybody and that's all off the table
3: it sure is so yeah not not great I would be if I, if I was a Chicago fan I would uh, not be particularly stoked with with I mean maybe maybe I wouldn't have you know gotten my hopes up and, and thought it was realistic that that Russell Wilson was a possibility but but still no matter what ending up with, with Dalton at the end of this just doesn't doesn't feel particularly encouraging I I probably think that Mitchell Trubisky is a better quarterback than than current day Andy Dalton I don't know if that's a hot <laughs> he's, take um,
2: but- he's a better running back and that's your best option like just, If your choices are Andy Dalton and Mitch Trubisky playing quarterback, I don't really know. But if if you have those two choices, the right option
3: is to take Trubisky and forego the quarterback position entirely. Yep, then really fire up the Georgia Tech offense. Um, all right, let's get on over to a couple of the running back signings. I'm, I'm going to kind of just tee you up here. Um, because I saw some of the reaction on on Twitter to, to some of these signings and what what they mean for for a couple of these second year running backs. All right, so I'll I'll let you go or take your pick. Uh, do you want to go with the Hyde to Jacksonville signing or the Jamal Williams to Detroit signing, and what those mean for James Robinson <laughs> and and DeAndre Swift?
2: Yeah. So. I might just be a dupe, like falling for cynical media practices and, and, and making too much out of something that's just race to the bottom type content where every time a running back signs with a team where there's already a running back, that one, that running back that's already there is over, man. If you, if, if some team signs a second running back, that starter is never playing again. Nah. Uh, and as we know, Every good running back in fantasy football is the only running back on his team. So if a team signs a running back, it's just done. Pull the plug. There's no hope. And And also, the
3: the older, more washed-up running back is always better than than the one on his rookie contract. Always.
2: Yeah, because if you sign a running back, then the running backs that are already on the team are never going to play again and are bad. And probably you should hate them. But, uh yeah, so Carlos Hyde, who sucks, and already played uh, – he played with Jacksonville for, like, seven games that Nick Chubb rookie year, and he had 3.3 yards per carry after they traded a fifth-round pick for him. And then what has he done since other than have, like, four good runs as a bench player for the Seahawks? So and, – and then he got hurt. So Carlos Hyde is this guy who – he's he's – Pretty fast for how big he is and he runs hard, like he's not a fun person to tackle, but his vision has never been good because he doesn't find the open field. Despite all of his ability to break tackles and run away from people, he just gets caught all the time. And as a, as a pass catcher, his, his elusive, his negative elusiveness really shows up because he's actually got pretty good hands, like he catches passes that go to him, but he's, for his career, and it's it's been the case in every team that he's played for. It's insane. I've never seen anything like it. He's averaging like 3.8 four yards a target or something while catching like 80% of the targets. I've never seen anything like that. So, you can't really do anything with Carlos Hyde other than have him play like dive halfback, which is fine. And and for Jacksonville to sign him for that purpose makes totally a lot of sense. If if Robinson needs a breather or if if, if Robinson just, you know, gets three carries on a drive and they have a third and short and, and they need someone to run at 110 percent straight at the first down marker who's who's you know gonna gonna hurt somebody who tries to tackle him before he gets there Carlos Hyde can do that but if you want to run the entire offense it's not going like he can only do certain number of plays and none of which are really passing situation ones which is uh as much as I hate the PPR mania of the day and uh specifically the the ideologies that spring forth from uh PPR economic incentives. I I think it's pretty significant that James Robinson never left the field in passing downs last year. Like people talk about it. Oh my God, he got 80% of their carries. That's never happened. That, that doesn't happen ever. Like it's, it also doesn't mean anything because they had the fewest carries in the league. They had like 337 carries as a team last year. Mm-hmm. James Robinson can afford to get 70% of the carries or whatever less than last year and still come out with more carries because they're not going to suck as much. They're going to run the ball more because they won't be losing as of 10 minutes into every single game like they did last year. So, yeah, his share of carries are going is going to go down, but the team carry count is going to go up. And in the meantime, they haven't added anyone who can project for passing down functions. Now, I expect them to add another running back either through the draft or or maybe in free agency yet, or maybe they'll just sign Curtis Samuel and they'll say that's close enough. But that's what we're looking at at the moment. This idea that Carlos Hyde is going to just kick aside James Robinson as a pure runner has no basis, and the idea that he's going to take any passing down work is just wrong. It's stupid. So I know most people didn't freak out too much about the James Robinson thing. Some people did, and I I might be dumb for thinking they were sincere because it pretty much – is incredible that someone would actually believe that. Um, it's also incredible to me that anyone would think Jamal Williams is a threat to J- DeAndre Swift. Um, but it makes a little more sense because at least Jamal Williams can play passing down stuff. Like you right. can pass block, and if you throw him the ball, he generally will catch it. But I also think that J- uh, Jamal Robinson, or sorry, Jam- Jamal, Jamal Williams was the actually the best case scenario for DeAndre Swift because them signing Jamal Williams means knock on wood anyway means they're not signing a Chris Carson or even a Philip Lindsay or something. Like somebody there are a bunch of players who are much more threatening from scrimmage than Jamal Williams and the Lions did not sign them. They signed him who is a threat to precisely I guess in addition to pass blocking stuff Jamal Williams could get like short yardage work just because of the reasoning of like oh well he runs so hard, he's such a he's such a bruiser or whatever. I think if they take that approach, it will fail. Like he can't run; he's not good with the ball. He doesn't make big plays. He breaks some tackles, and, and people really stick to the optics of, of Jamal Williams. Like they really stick to the optics of him running real hard on the field and trying real hard.
3: And well, he's doing got, a funny he's got the taped fingers instead of the gloves. I and he
2: does it. the cool thing, and everyone agrees he's a, he's a great deal of fun, and that's fine. I'm glad that he's doing well as a running back. Like I'm, I'm glad he got paid a little bit. Um, but he's a bad running back. He's terrible from scrimmage. There are not five worse running backs on an NFL roster who are worse from scrimmage than Jamal Williams. Look at his career. No explosiveness. He's right at like
3: 3.8 yards per carry his whole career. He, he catches the the 140 yard run his entire career on 500 rushes.
2: Yeah, Jamal Williams does two things. He never fumbles, and he can pass block, and he can catch the ball. But even insofar as his pass-catching usage goes, it's ill-conceived because he's so unthreatening with the ball that the fact that he's catching the ball doesn't actually help. It's kind of like a less severe version of the Carlos Hyde deal. It's like, Carlos Hyde can catch the ball, too. He is perfect at going nowhere with it afterwards, so it doesn't matter that he's catching it. Something like that is true about Jamal Williams, too, and Detroit, I think, will find that out. Now, maybe they don't think it's true right away. Maybe they, maybe DeAndre Swift does get three or four goal-line touchdowns poached by Jamal Williams. But when it, the time comes for them to need a competitive play from Jamal Williams, and if they pass up DeAndre Swift on that play for Jamal Williams, they're not getting the first down. They're not getting the touchdown. And if they keep doing it, that's how a coach's seat suddenly gets hot.
3: Well, we'll be optimistic on on our Dan Campbell, and we'll trust him to do the right thing. So, I mean, I think Williams is a, is a totally fine backup, or RB2, but I think that They know with what they spent on DeAndre Swift and what they got out of him, especially down the stretch last year, that it'd be foolish to really, you know, do do anything but you know take the restrictor plate off and just let Swift do his thing.
2: Yeah, Dan Campbell has been saying from the start he's thinking Alvin Kamara for DeAndre Swift, and uh, I thought DeAndre Swift was underrated to start with in the in the redraft 2021 redraft. And if his market actually suffers for this, that would be insane, and it would pretty much make Swift my number one target for the time being. Like I, I would feel compelled to go sign up for drafts to get DeAndre Swift shares if his price goes down over something as stupid as this, because to me, he should be, with the Saints offense being basically a question mark at this point, I don't really see a good basis for having Alvin Kamara so far ahead of Swift. Mm-hmm. Uh, and def- or definitely not far ahead of Eckler. So those three guys are the same category of running back to me. It's like we know they're not getting 300 carries. We know that they're not going to get a lot of, well, I guess, Alvin Kamara's case, he got a lot of rushing touchdowns, but it wasn't so much specifically like a goal line emphasis. It was like he just scored a lot because the Saints scored so he's a lot. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, and he's really good. Um, but the idea that that's a guarantee to keep happening with with the Breeze offense gone and the Winston-Hill offense arrived um, seems a little hasty to me, and I say that as someone who thinks Ger- Jared Goff is terrible. Like I don't think the Detroit offense is going to be good, but I don't think it needs to be good in PPR anyway. I don't think it needs to be good for Swift to clearly be like a top 15 pick. Like he's 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 his usage is almost the same as theirs. Like I I don't understand what the PPR argument is against Swift. It it just doesn't go anywhere.
3: Nope. So if if he starts falling outside of the top 15, and you know we'll we'll definitely check back in on. On the mar- It's going to be really interesting next week To check back in on, on ADPs uh, Come next week Because, yeah, if if your theory is correct And, and Swift's ADP suffers for this somehow Then, then yeah It, it might not
2: to- I can't tell if anyone's serious about this anymore You know, it's like Jamal Williams runs hard Which he has to do Because he has to run at 110% To be 85% as good as any other running back And that's not a threatening category of player to Swift
3: Nope I don't think so either So I think that Some good laying down of the law there. Uh, I think that's going to do it uh, for this edition of the free agency frenzy. We'll drop part two a little bit later in the week. But for Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening.
1: Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance.